Welcome to the Memory Distillery, everyone. I'm Anthony Verneri. And I'm John Deck. And each week, we will malt, mash, ferment, and distill our way through the spirits of our past in the form of long-loved movies. And on today's episode, watch out for monkeys throwing plates all over the place because... We're watching Jumanji from 1995, directed by Joe Johnston. Uh, so, John, I don't know about you, but I remember quite a few things about this movie. I think I've watched it fairly recently with my son uh within the last few years at least interesting because i have watched jumanji welcome to the jungle fairly recently but i haven't watched this movie in a really long time and outside of robin williams being in it and there being some mildly questionable cgi animals i don't have a lot and i think kirsten dunst is in it as like a little little tyke she sure Um, is which is weird because I don't think of this movie as being almost as old as Interview with an Am- a Vampire, but I guess it must be if she was like young at that time. Anyway, um, yeah, I'm kind of uh, fairly unprepared. Uh, I guess that's a good thing because we're going to watch this movie, but I-, I have very little that comes to mind when I'm thinking about it. Yeah, I mean, as far as plot goes, it's it's a fairly simple story. A kid finds a board game playing with his friend. He gets stuck in the game because it's a magical board game. Uh, later, some kids move into the house that he lived in as a kid. They find the game and start playing. And uh, the first kid gets released as an adult, uh, played by the late Robin Williams. Whoa, 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 Professor. It sounds to me like you might know this movie too well. No, no, no. This is, this is like the first ten minutes of the movie. Oh, okay. I didn't know. Uh, and then all hell breaks loose and they have to finish the game in order to fix everything. That's the basic plot of this movie. That does uh, sound about right. The... the I remember, I think more than the plot or the acting or anything like that, I remember this, uh, or I remember enjoying this from more of a technical perspective. Like, you mentioned the sort of questionable CGI animals, which is kind of true from what I remember, but for 1995, it was actually really, really well done, and even more so from the audio side. Like, I remember watching this in full surround sound and just being blown away at all the the ways that they made use of space with sound yeah that's cool like i i and again i'm probably mixing my own brain from this time and not taking into account the actual time because this correct me if i'm wrong but this is going to be pretty close to the time that goldeneye another movie we've watched came out is that sound about right that is correct that is the (laughs) same year if i'm not mistaken so I think it'll be fun to kind of hold this to that standard and see how we feel effects and sound and things stand up to what we just watched last week. So sure. I think that'll be fun. Yeah, definitely. Um, speaking of which, uh, I mean, unless there was anything else you want to talk about, let's uh, let's go watch this movie. Yeah, I think we're going to watch this through Amazon Prime uh, this time. It's located there. and. Uh, you can do it yourself the same, dear audience, or find an alternative way to join in on the fun. And uh, we'll be back in a moment. Yeah, let's go.
Welcome back, everyone. We just got done watching Jumanji. John, tell us a little about this movie. You know, it's interesting to, to watch this again after so much time. I really didn't remember a lot about all the different flashbacks and how everything was set up. A lot of movies just jump right in, but here they took their time kind of giving us some background where we saw the origins of this mysterious box way back in the 1800s or wherever. Um, and then we flash forward to Alan Parrish as a kid, and we see him and, and his girl, uh, just a friend that he ends up playing <laughs> with and, and Alan gets sucked into the game and, and she freaks out and runs away. And then we fast forward to what was at that time, modern times, which yeah, a lot of flash forwards. Right? Yeah. Like... It was, it just jumped around, which was not bad. It just was really interesting to me that it took like a solid, like 25 minutes before we're really getting into to the, the heart of what was going on in the game. Yeah. Um, some character development, just giving you a bit of where they're coming from. And, and I think it pays off decently sure so yeah i mean lots of uh lots of the story surrounds like playing the game but also the time that alan played by robin williams was away i mean he was gone for 26 years stuck in this game uh goes in as a kid and comes out as a full-grown robin williams which is hard to do you don't see people just show up as a full-grown robin williams in a lot of things i rarely ever show up as a full-grown robin williams in anything i do oh, I, I think it's only ever happened twice it's it's this and jack yeah that's a good point <laughs> i've definitely seen jack a lot and not zero times oh you really you've never seen jack no nah, i haven't i haven't is it worth watching it's a pretty we, good movie should we change this podcast right now to jack we should absolutely jack cast all right. No, wait. I think that's a different oh, thing. Yeah, that's that's a definitely <laughs> the uh, going to get us the E rating on the uh, the. Old. Oh yeah, that's the explicit tag for sure. <laughs> uh, so he, I mean, when he comes back uh, into this movie as Robin Williams, he's looking like uh, you know, George of the Jungle, uh, full beard and covered in like banana leaves and stuff like that. I've definitely watched George of the Jungle a lot of times and not Zero. <laughs> oh, well, I'm, I'm referring to George of the Jungle, uh, the, the animated, cartoon, yeah. and certainly not the movie, which I've only seen clips of, uh, and yet somehow still owned on DVD because my son watched it. Mm. Blame it on the kid. Yep, I always do. Uh, All right, so Robin Williams. <laughs> Robin Williams, he manages to get cleaned up at some point, which for a for someone who's never shaved in his entire life, he comes out of the bathroom with all like the the toilet paper bits on his face. And then less than a minute later, his face is completely clear as if he's been shaving his entire life. And he also gave himself a nice little haircut. Yeah, that was uh, was pretty, pretty talented. This this Alan Parrish. Yeah, but we don't know what he's been doing for those 26 years in the jungle. Like. That's not 26 years of growth, especially on Robin Williams, because he probably gets hairy like that in three or four minutes. Oh, sure. Absolutely. So he, he hasn't shaved, but he probably used like monkey trimmers or something where you hold a monkey and they bite <laughs> off your hair. Um, it just, that's I'm, the I'm most... picturing something very uh, Flintstones right now. <laughs> Flintstones, which is the movie that I definitely watched many times and not zero. <laughs> <laughs> that, that that's the podcast right there's things that you've watched many times and definitely not zero yeah <clears throat> so they need to go and get the uh the fourth player uh who if you guys remember from earlier in the movie 
there was Alan Parrish and his his friend, who's definitely not a girlfriend. Uh, they need to go and get her so that they can finish the game, which they do. Uh, she's a neurotic mess from what happened when she and Alan were kids. Uh, they're working their way through uh, sort of the, the trauma that they went through throughout this movie. Uh, like the past 26 years of trauma, this is like their therapy session in a sense. Like I, yeah. I really got a, a feeling for that throughout this movie. Yeah, I mean, I agree completely. It definitely had that feeling of, you know, this is this is how you deal with, you know, uh, parents who aren't there for you or, you know, whether it's because they're busy and working or they died in a car crash or whatever, you know, like uh, dealing through all these these issues and these traumas and, you know, using a, a metaphor of a game to do so. Sure. We have the stampede scene. Like they, they roll the dice and it comes up and says up. Oh, basically says there's going to be a shit ton of animals coming through the. Uh, through the wall here in a second the scene especially when robin williams grabs the game right before the rhinos bust through the wall is very very obviously like blue or green screen uh even down to the floor like everything was fake and you you could absolutely see it i mean it was still fun to watch them bust through the wall it's it's interesting because overall like i was trying to determine if I appreciated and enjoyed the the graphics and what they were doing at the time, you know, like how could I compare it to, you know, what it would have been for its time then? Because I remember it got a lot of praise uh, for being pretty awesome at that time and then thinking about it now. And, and you know, like a lot of what you're saying, like the stampede, a lot of pretty much almost everything there, like those spiders, and like they have a mix of weird practical effects and then weird CGI and nothing looks quite right. Like the lion wearing mascara was like it. I couldn't even tell if that was what kind of a blend of CGI and practical effects, you know, that it was, except it just wasn't quite right. Right. Uh, even like in the standoff, like earlier in the movie when Robin Williams first jumps in and we have him like up against the lion in, in like the foyer area, like the even the practical effects weren't awesome, at least by yeah. today's standards. So I, now keep in mind this this movie came out in ninety five, and you know what year Jurassic Park came out, right? Nineteen ninety five. Ninety three. Well, ninety three, oh. ninety four. So this, yeah, I mean. Either. Jurassic Park being, you know, of course, uh, from an unbiased perspective, one of the best movies ever, it it did something with its effects that I don't think anyone else, you know, would really duplicate for quite a while. So I'm not trying to say everything should be on that level. Um, but yeah, it was just looking at the effects and trying to see where's the realism bar and how close does it get. There's very rarely any moment where, um, whether it's the... The, the mosquitoes, the monkeys, the stampedes, the lion, uh, the alligators weren't too bad because they're mostly covered in water, you know, during those parts. But when they came out of the water, they looked, you know, like everything to it looked like this could have come out of something just beyond Jaws, you know, something just, you know, just a little bit on the other side of that. Yeah, it's just like a couple of years hence, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, what you're saying about, you know, Jurassic Park and sort of the the bar being there and Jumanji not even really coming close to the bar. It, it really does sort of hit. I mean, when, when you think about it, Jurassic Park came out two years earlier and only had like a $13 million greater budget, which 
is a lot, but a lot of that I'm sure is like filming on location and things like that. Uh, I, I feel like a lot more time and energy and love and care could have been devoted to the effects in Jumanji that really weren't where it sort of tries to make up for it. I think is in the sound, like going back to that same stampede scene, like that scene was used for marketing things like, you know, Dolby digital and, Mm. uh, and, and, you know, all the various different like surround sound systems like that you could buy for your home, the 5.1 systems that you get for your home or the eight channel systems that, that you would see that clip in like a, a Best Buy or a, at the time Circuit City, they'd have their, their little setup area where you, know, you sit on the couch and it's got all the speakers set up and they would use that scene to, uh, to, to show off those systems. Oh, so I don't, I don't even remember that, but yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean the, the audio definitely uh, is, is really, really well done. Uh, I don't know like how, how loud you happen to have it or what your, your home setup is, John, but. Well, I usually put it into like Mandarin and then watch with subtitles Then I keep it really quiet. So I think that blend kind of took me out uh, of the the sound effect, uh, you know, that window where you really can latch on to the amazing sound editing and mixing that's going on. Um, But from your description, it sounds like it's pretty good. Maybe I'll try to watch it again and this time in English. That that's yeah. I mean, I would maybe watch it in English. Maybe turn up the volume just a couple of ticks. Oh, turn on the volume. Yeah, I'll turn up. Yeah, I'll have the volume on this time too. Sure. So where were we? Oh, there's a scene where the kid uh, Peter, who is the the younger brother of the the Kirsten Dunst character, he tries to cheat and ends up turning into Robin Williams, or I mean a monkey. Like there's there's one shot of his hands and his hands are all hairy. And for those of you who maybe aren't familiar with Robin Williams, if you ever look at his hands, they look almost caveman like in their hairiness. I didn't even uh, notice that in in uh, Aladdin, though. Yeah, it, it's it's harder to see, I think, because of the makeup in Aladdin. Yeah, it's a lot of good CGI. Sure, is what they call it. <laughs> I want to jump up to the, and it's not that far ahead of where we're at now, but the uh, the scene in the Sir Save a Lot, which sort of just looks like a big lots to me. Yeah, um, a very Home Alone esque scene where the again Peter, the younger brother, monkey is he, he's setting up this this like rigged trap with like a boat and some air tanks <laughs> and like a trigger system with like a, a a weight bench i thought that was kind of a neat little neat little thing precocious lad he is indeed and then uh, van pelt getting uh you know thrown through the wall and then eventually uh covered in paint as the uh, the paint shelves fall down upon him. Now, this is something this time around, which I honestly cannot recall if I pieced it together uh, the first time I watched it, whether I just don't remember, maybe I didn't care at the time, but um, just knowing that Van Pelt, the hunter, was played by the same actor, of course, that played Robin Williams' father, and what that means, again, to the whole theme we were talking about of people you know, dealing with trauma and dealing with family and dealing with 
you know, feelings of being, you know, judged or, or abandoned or whatever it might be. So that, that thing of an actor playing the two roles, one being kind of the, per, the parent, one being the villain, it also reminded me a little bit of Hook with Dustin Hoffman. Yes. And, and like, and the, when you have these different kind of parental, like dealing with the love or lack thereof of parents and that feeling of abandonment and like all those ties, like it had that familiar feeling there. Yeah. I, and I think as a kid watching this, I didn't really recognize that just cause you know, I'm a kid and I'm watching a movie where there's, you know, a jungle forming in this town, but in, in later viewings, probably, you know, 10, 15 years ago, uh, I I recognized that oh this is the same guy playing it I kind of made that connection too. Yep. Again, going back to the the visual effects, uh, the quicksand scene when they're back up in the attic after the house floods, they uh, Alan rolls the dice and uh, it basically gives this message that oh yeah the floor is going to turn to quicksand, and uh, Alan gets sucked in, but the it's so so bad. <laughs> like watching it at least on on my TV and the the vert the HD version that I have of the movie or that I watched of the movie on on Amazon, it just it did not look good at all. I was actually sort of sad about it. Like I was thinking, oh, it's gonna look like sand. Nope, it just looks like a squiggly floor that yeah, Robert it, Williams is sticking on that of. It it it's certainly the the effects magic uh, <laughs> wasn't. <laughs> wasn't exactly the highlight of the movie for myself sure um i'd say um honestly you know like when we go through and are talking about if we liked it or not i thought that it had it had a bit of a charm to it i kind of i actually i enjoyed it despite its shortcomings because i think there's a certain earnestness and most of the characters even if they were kind of over the top um that made it just kind of resonate with me in a way that I found just kind of homey and, and nice. Um, but yeah, if we're going to talk about the, the, you know, several of the things having to do with plot or effects or anything along those lines, then it starts <laughs> to really fall apart for me. Yeah. And, and I, I don't want to give the impression that I didn't like this movie because I did. I've jerk. I know. Right. And, but this movie has always sort of held a, a, a place for me, like in, in, in my, I wouldn't say my list of favorite films, but I've always liked the movie. I just, I, I didn't remember that from, from like a, a visual standpoint, like how much trouble I had with it. Or maybe I didn't have that trouble because I didn't have, you know, as, as, as sharp a screen as I do now, I guess. Like, I mean, I'm, I, watching it before it was either in the movie theater for the first time that I watched it or on a, you know, a, a CRT TV, but this is probably my first time watching it in HD. So maybe that's where I'm sort of getting hung up on. Anyhow, after that quicksand scene happens and the, uh, the floor hardens and you've got sort of got Robin Williams stuck in the floor with Bonnie hunt. He, he tells Peter to go and get his dad's ax and, there's this quick, tiny, quick little moment where the kid runs outside. He gets yeah. the axe. He bangs on the on the woodshed a couple times to bust it open to get the axe that's in his hands. And then you have this little fourth wall break that I thought was just like cute and clever. And I 
it, for some reason, I just got a, a chuckle out of it and thought it was great. Yeah, no, I loved it. I noticed that as well. And I, I know for a fact I did not ever have any joy in that in my previous watching many, many years ago. <laughs> but that, yeah, that, that moment where he's like, get the axe, it's in the shed. And, and, and then he just, it's just half a beat. He just looks down at his hands and he doesn't even make a big gesture like, oh, I'm an idiot. He just pauses, <laughs> kind of looks at the camera, looks down and then runs back inside with the axe. And it's like, yeah. now, of course, he sucks with that axe. I'm telling you, like, I, I thought all those spiders, you know, were practical effects and not digital because of how bad and horrible they looked. And they were just probably on strings being pulled around. So I'm guessing maybe the, the kid... Peter, whoever played him, Bradley, something like I bet he was maybe afraid to actually hit the spiders because, you know, like you're not supposed to break stuff on a movie set. Sure. Because he was swinging real slow and lame like and hitting the ground about a good two feet away from everything he was going for. And so, yeah, poor kid. He just uh, wasn't cut out for yeah. the spider killing. Wasn't a good look. If he ends up out in the, you know, in the wilderness in a cabin somewhere, he's not going to be able to chop his own firewood. He's not going to make it through the winter. But we we can criticize that moment. But now that I think about it, really, out of everyone in the movie, he was really the most capable. And like he adapted and was like fearless and and you know he had his few moments where he broke down a bit because his tail was trying to burst itself through his pants and it was pretty uncomfortable. But other than that, like him hanging upside down and grabbing the board game out of the river as it went by, and like he he, he kind of pulled it together and, and did a good job. Good good yeah. job, kid. I'd tussle his hair if you could see me right now. Sure, I would tussle it too. He actually he really did step up and you know did what needed to be done in this movie i thought it was good acting on the kid's part and good uh or good acting on the actor's part and good writing on the writer's part for like writing the kid that way it's probably Uh, because of the experience he had from a few years ago when he played chip in the beauty and the beast that oh that must be it yeah having to you know escape the wrath of the beast he he had to be had to be nimble and, and all that stuff and he, he had to work closely with, like, animated women who, when they take a sip and you go, <laughs> that tickles. Like, <laughs> so he has a lot of experience keeping his composure. <laughs> so we, I mean, we get to the game over part. You know, Alan has, has this really dramatic scene with Van Pelt where Van Pelt's like, drop whatever's in your hand. And he drops the dice and the one lands and the other's just bouncing and bouncing and bouncing and bouncing. And it's, that bouncing scene goes on for like a full minute before it stops and then the piece rolls up and he yells Jumanji and all of the uh, animals and stuff like that that came out of the game uh, get sucked back in, including so, Van Pelt. Go ahead. So sorry. when when he, I just, I feel it's important. I was saving this up, but that moment when the game ends, because you have to end it by saying the name of the game. And what I felt that I was missing when Robin Williams, you know, said Jumanji, what I felt what we were missing there was what if Sean Connery ended this game? I bet he would say something like Jumanji. <laughs> that, that blended I think it in seamlessly. Been. I'm so proud of myself. Wow. That that would have been Oscar worthy, I think. Yeah, I really I feel like there's just no shortage of situations like this in this and future movies where I might think something like that. You never know. <sighs> but yeah. At, at the very least, I think Connery would have got a BAFTA if it had been him. Yeah, I agree completely. And that's definitely something I'm familiar with a lot and have not that I've not seen zero times. <laughs> the, the, the British 
Okay. I thought you were talking about the Sean Connery movie BAFTA. I'm, I'm, I'm not. <laughs> That's definitely a movie that I've seen many times and not zero. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, yeah. So we, we get the resolution where the game finally gets all sucked up. And, and this is another, this pays off well with all of the preamble we saw with all the different time periods and and the the unwinding of what once was and and i thought this was i think maybe this is why i left kind of on a high note with the movie because um whenever you have any movie messing around with time and time travel effects and you know i guess we can say spoiler alert we're going to talk about avengers endgame a little bit because there's some time travel in that movie um but whenever you have time and you're rewinding and then you're bringing it back to the present and you're dealing with you know ramifications across a timeline a lot of movies do a horrible job of trying to have it make any sense and it just feels clumsy and stupid but here i love how they take us from the perspective of of uh Alan and uh, what's her name? Sarah. Uh, Sarah, as they're they're back to to being kids again, and they live out their life. Time actually passes, then we get introduced to to Peter and what's her face. I'm really good with names this time. <laughs> yeah, Peter and uh, I believe her name is what's her face. So what's her face slash Kirsten? But yeah, so they they get reintroduced, and of course you get that idea that both Alan and Sarah have been fully aware of everything that happened enough so that when the time is right, they want to actually play a part in getting to see these kids again, as well as helping them not lose their parents in that car crash. And so everything, the way it unfolds and, and uh, the, the changes that happen, it, it all happens very quickly, but it doesn't feel awkward or strange or weird. It's like, okay, this was a, a strong progression and an epilogue that makes sense. And, you know, it feels good. Yeah, they. It, 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 it's it's almost as though they made it their sort of life's purpose after finishing the game to to make that all happen. So that, I thought that was that was a very nice. Uh, it was a nice, neat bow to tie the movie up with. It's almost like the screenwriters who wrote the movie knew where it was going. It it seemed that way. Yeah. Cool. And then uh, and then we roll credits. That's the end of the movie. Some of the things that I liked about this movie, and I know we've talked a little bit about it already, but uh, I thought there was some pretty fun action. You talked about like Peter hanging over the river, and uh, you know we have a, a quite a few scenes where you know there's there's car chases and things like that. I thought that the the action was pretty fun in this. Yeah, you had a weird mix of like slapstick and then peril. Like it was like almost all of the action sequences were somehow tied to near death experiences, but you do have. I thought David Allen Greer was very funny in reoccurring uh, situations with that car. Like, I think that was like probably <laughs> my favorite small character in this was his police car. And the way it kept falling apart at the one point when it was completely torn apart, torn apart and, and then he was just, I forgot if, if he was pouring some kind of oil in it or fluid or like. Oh, he was putting brake fluid in it because they, <laughs> they couldn't stop the car, which is why they crashed into the store. Yeah. And it's like all those little details just were, you know, tied into him caring for this car that's just utterly destroyed was pretty humorous. And and, and it was great that that part got tied up, too, because, like, he, he stops for Peter and Judy's aunt, who's, like, running down the road <laughs> after her car gets stolen by monkeys. And, like, he stops for her, and this vine comes out of the woods and grabs the car and, like, wraps it up and sucks it into the, into the woods. And he's like, fine, keep it! <laughs> 
that I, I loved David Allen Greer in this movie. I thought yeah. that he, he was for me, the funniest part of the movie. I, I, David Allen Greer and just about anything that he's in, he's the funniest thing in it for me. He, he was great in, ah, the, it'll come to you. Yep. It sure will. Jaws. Yes. He was great in Jaws. Uh, no, the the show, the the sketch comedy show, oh, that in Living Color. Was, in Living Color, thank you. Uh, <laughs> but like when he, when he and Damon Wayans would do like Men on Film or Men on Sports or whatever, that that was probably one of my like favorite bits from that show. But uh, yeah, I like Dave, both David and Bonnie. I, I really enjoyed Bonnie a lot in this, and and I like her as an actress overall. And it just reminded me how um, they were in another movie together that I enjoyed, even though David's part was pretty small. It was in return to me. Um, which also, Oh, it's, it's, it's a, uh, it's a little romantic comedy um, with Minnie driver and David Duchovny as the two main characters. Mm. And then Bonnie hunt is a, like a best friend type uh, character in it as well. It's, it's entertaining. David Allen Greer just is the best friend of David Duchovny. And, um, but like, it just it's interesting they're both in that movie too um i have no other connection other than the fact that they both were in the movie (laughs) um i don't think they even had a scene together in this one that i can think of um but yeah at any rate uh he he had that mixture of you know he was kind of that every man that we were supposed to be but a little over the top you know he was the eyes that we had when you're just like come on what is sure everything's you know there are monkeys on that motorcycle what's happening like (laughs) you know it wasn't just like accepting it and going with it like some of the other people but and you know we we talked about um robin williams and david allen greer and bonnie hunt Uh, aside from the three of them at the time at least very few of the actors in this movie were like known actors a lot of these people in the movie were just like there so you you got really strong acting from people who like, it, this wasn't overly star studded. It, it, and that's probably a sign of the times too. Like you really didn't see so many movies back in the eighties and nineties where they just like top loaded the, the entire film and said, all right, we're just going to throw every single possible uh, famous star that we can into this movie. Yeah. I mean, clearly they, they landed Robin Williams and that was pretty much all they they wanted and they built around um and and i think it worked fine yeah the of of the shortcomings in this movie i think a lot of them were not the acting no yeah (laughs) Um, for sure they worked well with the material they had whether they were pretending to be sucked into a floorboard made of quicksand or whatever it might be (laughs) they they still sold the moment even if it looked crazily bad yeah and, and i mean that's a that's a testament to those actors for sure yeah uh, the storyline I thought was decent. I mean, it wasn't. There, there was no. There was no part in the sort of the flow of the story where I thought, "Oh, this is campy," or "Oh, this is hokey," or "Oh, this is boring." Yeah, I think they did a good job. They kept it real simple, and then because they did that, they were able to play up a bit on some of those themes that we keep talking about with the you know trauma and family and abandonment and all that kind of thing. So they they don't try to make it a super crazy in depth you know heist movie. It was just we've got to finish this game, the end. And yeah. you know, things get in the way, but that's it. That's the whole plot is just finishing the game and everything else fills it in with the different color and, and feelings and aspects. Yeah, and you knew what that plot was supposed to be you know, w- within 20 minutes of watching this movie. Yep. Um, c- 
couple things I didn't like, and I'm not going to spend too much time on one of them uh, because I already have, is the overuse of CGI where it wasn't needed. Like the monkeys I got, but the lion could have stayed practical. Van Pelt getting sucked back into the game was sort of hideous to me. And I, again, I get for the time it was revolutionary, but it just ha- it's, it's something that hasn't held up over time. Uh, the other thing, and this isn't visual effects so much as camera work, I think, there was in a few scenes, and I had noticed this in previous viewings too, there was this weird camera shake, especially in far off shots and where the blue screen was used. Like one example I have was in that Sir Saves a Lot store where you get sort of like closer up shots of maybe Bonnie Hunt and Kirsten Dunst walking through the store or running through the store. And then if you look at the sort of the far end of that shot, like which is I guess would be the front of the store, uh, it's very like shaky. Yeah. And it, it almost like to the point of nauseating, like it was, it was a really weird camera thing, and I don't know it, if it was it the cameras feels, that they used. Or yeah, what. I feel like it was a choice. I don't think it was the technology. I feel like um, if it's the same thing that you're describing that I noticed as well, it felt like that that was something they were trying to do to give you the sense of you know action and tension and movement and and chaos and all that, which it did not work out didn't work very well but i i feel like it was done on purpose to the extent that they were able like they like the the lighting wasn't always good either was something i noticed as well and so you'd have these well-lit certain areas but then the whole frame the the background was very shady and kind of hard to tell what was actually happening so it made it feel more claustrophobic and you have this giant store but you don't always feel like it's a large store you feel like you're just in a little hallway of a store or something like that yeah exactly um, I have a couple questions that I want to get into, but was, were there any other things that you wanted to address before I do that? Not remotely. Okie dokie. Uh, so my first question to you, Sir John, is original or sequel? Are you talking about Jaws and Jaws 2? Because what does that have to do with this movie? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. I'm definitely not talking about Jumanji versus Jumanji colon Welcome to the Jungle. Okay, good, because Jaws 2 is definitely a movie that I've seen (laughs) tons of times and not zero. (laughs) So I think that it's kind of an unfair comparison, strangely enough, in terms of apples and oranges of what we get in the two movies. They're very different. I've seen them both. And with Welcome to the Jungle, I I think it was more of a, I just resigned myself to catching it at some point. I, I never meant to watch it on purpose. It just kind of happened. I wasn't excited about it. But I did see some interviews with like Jack Black and, and, and The Rock and, and Karen and, and uh, Kevin. And, and like they had like really good chemistry seemed in the interviews. But I was like, nah, I don't care. I'll catch it. Um, then I surprisingly thought it was really quite good. Um, I, I really enjoyed their chemistry, and, and it, as a movie, it was perfectly serviceable and, and decent. Um, it was actually genuinely funny at points, you know, and so, yeah. especially Jack Black's character. And so, I mean, just because of the modernity of it and, you know, the way I was able to just enjoy it and not have to really analyze it and think about it within its time frame, I'd say the sequel I enjoyed more. Yeah, I, I think that to to an extent, I sort of feel the same way. I mean, when I watched Welcome to the Jungle... His weakness uh, was cake! His weakness was cake. <laughs> that was a great <laughs> bit. Uh, 
it, when I when I first watched it, it was sort of begrudging. Like my wife and my son wanted to go see it, and I had all these great memories of watching the original, and I didn't want it to sort of mar that. Like we're we're in a time frame right now where you you start to get the feeling that Hollywood has run out of ideas, and so they're just like, cool, let's go remake all the stuff that they made before. And that's what I felt like this was going to be, and it, it it didn't end up being that. Like it was definitely its own thing, its own self-contained kind of deal. And you know, they and the bit where they sort of paid homage to Robin Williams yeah. with the you know the Alan Parrish was here on the the board or whatever um, was was super endearing. And like the the whole movie, I just thought was fun. But like. like and- the, and seeing as how it made so much money, I mean, it's kind of a tangent for talking about the sequel when we're really focused on Jumanji. But hey, you brought it up, so it's fair game. I did. Um, You're right. Because it made so much money, I think it, you know, uh, some sort of sequel to the sequel is bound to happen. And personally, it I is happening, be, actually. Oh, <laughs> I, I think it would be fun to have the same core cast of those four main adult characters within the game, but then have them embodied by totally different people. So they would then have to play them in a hundred percent different roles, but being the same characters within the game. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, exactly. I, I think that that would be a really cool, uh, cool way to do it. Yeah. Jumanji, the next chapter is what it's called. And allegedly it's coming out end of this year. I don't know. Oh, wow. Where they actually was... are, but the current plot is under wraps. Uh, you do have <laughs> well, the I return. Just told you. I just told you what the plot oh. is. Okay. Then we're going with that. And actually, Inside you know, it's, info. It's funny you say that because when I look at the IMDb page for this new Jumanji movie, uh, you have Karen Gillan and Dwayne Johnson and Kevin Hart and Jack Black, but no character names listed. Mm-hmm. So you're, yep. you, you may not be far off. The other question I wanted to ask you, and it's, uh, it's a little less related to this movie. What's your favorite Robin Williams movie? Oh, man. Uh-huh. Well, see, Robin is, was one of these comedic actors who had an amazing, hilarious talent who just seemed to shine when you took him into dramatic roles. Um, and so... For me, it's really hard not to instantly think Goodwill Hunting um, as like I'd say maybe I'll go with my top three just because you took me off guard and I can't narrow it down to one. That's fair. Um, so you have uh, I would say two of those three are dramatic roles. As far as Goodwill Hunting might be my favorite of his personally acting, but in, in a dramatic movie, I've always loved Dead Poets Society. And then from a comedic standpoint, I just the embodiment of him voicing the genie in Aladdin is just such an iconic role. And I think that's why people are flipping out and angry about Will Smith covering it, you know, being the genie in this movie because they're idiots and they can't realize it's a totally different character, different take. But um, that being said, I'd say that that's maybe the most iconic role in my mind that I feel like he, he did this and embodied it and it, it can't be overdone or, or done by anyone else. Um, what about you, your favorite? Well, if we're going to go top three, you can be happy that we're only going to have one crossover film here. That being Goodwill Hunting. The second film, I would say... 
I loved him in Hook. I absolutely yeah. loved him in Hook. Yeah. Uh, with without a doubt. Third for me is and people sometimes forget about this role, but uh, him playing opposite playing opposite Nathan Lane in the Birdcage. Birdcage, yeah. I mean, really, there's so many. Like there 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 are a lot of underrated parts to movies that people maybe never even saw, like World's Greatest Dad. Uh, movies that like people just bypass because they think, oh, I, you know, that's not something I'm gonna bother with, you know. And then it turns out. It's a great performance. It's a great movie. It's really something worth checking out. Right. Um, and so, I mean, you go back to, I remember the first time seeing Good Morning Vietnam when I was young and having no clue what I was looking at and still being entertained by it. <laughs> right. Just because he was so off the wall and just, you know, crazy. So it's it just he had a presence that was hard to not like, even if the movie was nothing special. Oh, yeah. I mean, anything that you watched him in, you were, your eyes were drawn to him, uh, even if it was... You know, like Death to Smoochie, oh, I love which, which is yeah. one of my favorite Robin Williams. I, if, if those are my top three, Death to Smoochie is probably number four and a very close one at that. It just, just uh, he, he was just, he would pop on the screen. It was great. Okay, well that's been Jumanji, everyone. Please make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or Google Podcasts or Stitcher, wherever you happen to get your podcasts. Uh, we're going to release new episodes every week on Mondays, so please make sure you check those out. Next week, uh, what are we watching, Sean? I believe, now you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we might be uh, heading out into space for the fifth element. Now, uh, as we you know, talk a lot about Jumanji and we're talking about the sound effects and things like that. The score itself, I thought I could take it or leave it didn't have a lot of feelings about uh, a lot of it, but it does make me appreciate the music we use in our podcast, which is again, the song destroying the evidence by semaphore. I'm telling you, you should check them out, give them a listen, uh, give them a thumbs up, send them a hat in the mail, do whatever it is that you do with music that you feel like checking out. Um, and then, as always, we do invite you to email us with any questions or comments or any requests or anything that you'd like to talk about at thememorydistillery at gmail.com. Yep, you can also find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash thememorydistillery. Uh, thanks again for listening. I'm Anthony Verneri. And I'm John Deck. And this has been The Memory Distillery. I'm going to share my thoughts on a totally different movie, and that movie is Jaws, made in 1982, starring E.T. and Commander Greer, as in David Allen Greer. Now, this movie, Jaws, is about a shark and a monkey that fight. Now, what you might not all know, because you, you know, you're probably thinking of Jaws with an S, and I'm talking about Jaws with a Z uh, that came out a few years later. Uh, it was a lot of CGI, which is really something, because at the time there weren't really computer graphics. Um, and the C and the G stood for two different things, which was cardboard gutouts. That's right, cardboard gutout interfaces, uh, where you had the monkeys uh, and the sharks that were fighting. And David Allen Greer was just doing a lot of jogging, a lot of jumping jacks, did a few barrel rolls, 
and then they would like impose him amongst all these cardboard sharks and monkeys. Um, and this is really one of Steven Spielberg's Steven with a V, not the PH. Um, wait, that's the same one. Oh, is this the same Steven Spielberg? Now that's really interesting that he would do an own sequel to what was already a well-received movie, but not Jaws 2. We're talking about Jaws and then Jaws with a Z. At any rate, it's one of those scenes that gets stuck in your head. And every time you watch a movie with Robin Williams in it, which would like Jumanji, you always go back to thinking about what about that movie where he didn't take the starring role in the, the somewhat sequel to Jaws. Uh, it's something that has haunted me for years. And I guess we'll talk about it later, but I guess that's all I have to say about it right now.